Thank you. Very emotional moment. I'm not sure how far I'll get in these next few minutes, but a thousand thanks, as our brothers and sisters in the Middle East would say. I think over the years it must be fairly obvious, at least to some of you, that um, these mission partners can be a bit strange. You know what they say? Odd means not like me, and we all think a bit like that. And I can think of some of the strange things, yes, revolutions for sure, but also um, some rather more mundane but odd things like flying backwards in Prince Andrew's royal flight plane from El Alamein after the remembrance back to Cairo and then getting stuck in the night because no one came to fetch us. And those if-they-could-see-me-now moments where they would never support us again. My favourite, I think, was... And I can't now remember how this happened. I was visiting a colleague in Cairo, a New Zealand colleague, not the one that Helen's working with just now. And she had a strange request. She was going to take a time out. And her niece had asked her to go and get a belly-dancing outfit from Colonel Khalili of the Souk downtown. Somehow, I got to go with her. Her niece, shall we say, um, uh, petite, shapely. Our colleague at that time, anyway, it's changed a bit since, was roughly this shape. And of course, as we turned up together into this clothing belly dancing shop, run of course, as they all are, by men from the underwear to the outerwear, um, they assumed that either I was her son or more likely her husband. So I suddenly thought, I shouldn't be here. This is going to get complicated. And boy, it was complicated. <laughs> so you didn't know that, did you? Strange things happened to us. To us, ordinary people. Very ordinary most of the time. It has been a huge honor on your behalf to get to these very special places and to serve with inspirational church leaders. And they are growing in boldness and confidence. In many settings, other churches, like some of our churches, they're hiding and hoping it'll all go away. But thanks be to God for those who are bold and clear in their witness. A lot of the time in transitioning our little mission agency, Miko, to join a much larger group serving in mission, which is now Sim Middle East, I've been working very hard trying to change our own organizational language, traditional language, like mission, it's actually not a word used in the Bible. Um, and missionary, that's certainly not used in Scripture. And you know what? With this passage in front of us, Luke 24, which you'll hear in two parts in just a minute, we think Jesus would agree with trying to change our language. What you'll hear is that he ends up saying, you all, it's a big plural, are witnesses of these things that our brothers and sisters are celebrating this weekend, and you and I were able to celebrate last weekend. How cool is that, by the way? Two Easter's right in the middle of Ramadan. That's 
a very unusual conjunction and gives us real opportunities to pray and to connect. You are all witnesses of these things. That's the biblical category. The women at the tomb, the disciples huddled in their upper room, that couple on the Emmaus Road, this 11 here at the end of Luke 24 and their friends, and 20, 21 centuries further on, us together, all of us, are witnesses of these things. You see, what's true of the disciples and the first apostles is now true of our churches. That's the way the line works. Witnesses together. So I think the real question is, how do we get to be effective in our witness together? And here in Jesus' final appearance, we have three keys. And Bethany's going to come and read for us from Luke 24, 36 to 43. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Thank you. Thanks very much, Bethany. What is it that Jesus has for his friends in this final appearance? Firstly, be sure what's happened. Jesus is in the business of restoring hope. That's our theme for today. And how much we need hope, how much our city, our country, our world needs hope and solid hope. Holid, hope that really means something to us. While they're still talking, we're told, Jesus himself stood among them and spoke to them, peace be with you, as well he might. They were terrified. I don't know how he got in. We're not given the detail in Luke's gospel that the doors were locked, but they likely were. And somehow, there he was, just. No surprise that he ends up saying to them what the angels had to say to everybody in the Christmas story. It's all right, don't be afraid. God is at work. I'm here. They reach for a standard category, ghost, which leaves them disorientated, confused, scared, frankly. For sure, Jesus is in a different league. He is, and by the way, we do get a glimpse of what resurrection looks like here. Jesus is recognizable, at least some of the time in these appearances, he reveals himself, and yet he's passing through 
doors and walls and appearing in places. Something's going on in the resurrection body, which one day we will inhabit. Uh, Just don't ask me how old we'll be when we get to that point, how grey we'll be. In the Middle East, the greyer you are, the better, uh, as long as you're still with it and still in touch. They honour and respect the growing years. I don't know how old we'll be in heaven, but I do know that we'll be inhabiting a different realm whilst being recognisably ourselves, just as Jesus was. There's a clue in the story. But he's no ghost, and he wants them now to move from fear to faith, hope restored for them, first and foremost. And above all, what he does in these first few verses is assure them, it's really me, myself. I'm really alive. Look at my hands and my feet. Touch me, and literally, the original says, you will see. Touch me, and you will see. It's because they touched him, and they did see, and then they told the story, as we'll think in a minute, that we can now believe 21 centuries later and trust what we believe. Touch me, and you will see the nail marks are the identifiers. Now, from being terrified and scared, they swing right across the emotional spectrum, and they're overjoyed and they're amazed. But it seems for all that, they're still not quite convinced. Hugh, the fish. This is no ghost. I don't know any Royal Mile ghosty tour where the ghosts are eating when you break in on them right? We don't see ghosts eating. Jesus enjoys this lovely fish, quick fried on a very hot top and enjoyed by him and his friends. I love the way Luke tells this story. Of course, he tells it a bit different from the other gospel writers. Mark, many people, most people believe, was the first to publish. And Middle East Christians think that Mark was a Libyan, actually, who then moved across to Palestine. And then he brought the good news to Alexandria in the north of Egypt. So the cathedral from the Coptic church, which was online last night, three and a half hours, as they went through their pageant, more and more down into the darkness, waiting for the Jesus who is buried and uh, pretending to, to concertina that whole strange, silent Saturday. And then suddenly, and I used to go to this thing, and it was about seven minutes to midnight, with a, a, a burst of light and a clash of cymbals, and a cacophony of noise and praise and shouting, they celebrate Jesus' resurrection in St. Mark's Cathedral. The Coptic church in Kirkcaldy is St. Mark's, and until a while ago, the pastor was Father Mark. They all take their roots from the Gospel of Mark, 
who brought that news. So when you see a picture of him, there's always a ship coming to Alexandra. There's always the lighthouse. There's always a lion, and I can tell you later what the significance of the lion was. Matthew took what Mark had and focused on his own Jewish background people. John, I think it's clear, knew about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he, was, he had a free hand to fill in the miracles and fill in the conversations. But Luke is the one like us. He wasn't there watching Jesus eat the fish. He had to find it out later for himself. Everything he writes until the midway point of the Acts, which is his next book, is about they did this and they did that and Jesus appeared to them and Jesus told them. I had to find out later, says Luke. He joins them at last, but he's a doctor and he's researched the story carefully. He's gone back to the roots. He's listened to all the testimony and he's organized it, as he says at the beginning, so that we may believe. That's good news for us because his gospel has us in mind, the next generations down the centuries. It's also good news to our, for our neighbors, our colleagues, the shopkeepers around us from Muslim background in and around Edinburgh and beyond who are in the midst of their fasting month longing to get close to God. The good news is, in Jesus, they can. The sobering news is, in the duty that they're going through, they won't find him that way. Next Sunday, Ramadan ends, if they sight the moon at the right time, maybe Monday. And that's a wonderful moment. If you've got Muslims at work, my barbers across the road from Kurdistan, some of them are fasting. The posty, post office uh, f folks across the road, he's fasting. That's a great moment to take them sweet, sticky things. The sweeter and the stickier, the better, as they celebrate the end of this fast. But we want them to have so much more. We'd love them to have Luke in their hands. There's been global prayer for over 30 years now in a coordinated way. 30 days of prayer for 30 years that our Muslim neighbors and friends and colleagues would find what they're looking for, not where they're looking, but in this story of which Jesus wants us to be sure. This hope restored in him. Pray, even now, this last week, for Muslims to have dreams and visions, just as Malcolm and Carrie were telling us a few weeks ago. When they have that encounter, they need people who are ready to help them know what it means, which is the second part of our reading, and Bethany's going to come and read 44 to 49. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. 
the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Thank you very much again. First of all, be sure what's happened. Second, be clear what our purpose is. Jesus takes them back in order to move them forward. Remember, he says, I told you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me back in the law of Moses, in the prophets, the Psalms, the three main categories of the Hebrew Bible. Not everything in those three parts is about him, but of course you'll find the images and the prophecies that point us to him. He was with them, and now he's come back to make sure they get this. I think we, we look at these stories sometimes and we think, why don't they remember? Why are they so slow to get it? We miss, I think, in our now very overworked word, it's unprecedented. It takes a long time to digest and take all this in. It's a very long journey for people from Muslim backgrounds to come to the point where they're even ready to think about following Jesus. There's so much to unlearn and so much that's kind of familiar but different. We have a friend who's been nearly 30 years in Cairo, and he has superb Arabic. He invested four years at the beginning, totally focused on learning his Arabic. He spent every night in the coffee shops with uh, the men that he could meet with. It's a, mostly a male world, that world. And he had many, many conversations, many, many debates, many, many arguments. Egypt is the world's most religious country. He keeps reminding us, you can't teach Egyptians anything about religion. So a lot of the conversations were about God, even about Jesus. But you know what? He won all his arguments, but no one changed sides. And in his third year and a bit longer, his head was down. He was beginning to think, I I've got this wrong. I, I should just go back to where I came from. It nothing's going to change. His pastor, an Egyptian, had been watching him, came alongside and said, you know what, I've been so impressed by the way that you've immersed ourself, yourself in our world. You've learned language, you've tried to understand our many dimensions and layers of culture. There's always an extra layer that you don't quite get till it's too late. And I've been impressed. But I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a little story about sugar cubes. Not fish, but sugar cubes. Imagine a box of sugar cubes in the gulf there, glittering. Uh, but uh, in our world, they're just a cardboard box, right? It's full of sugar cubes. How do you get it full? Well, you put one after another into the box. Every sugar cube represents a connection with something Christian. Maybe some neighbor, 
Maybe some colleague. Maybe some piece of God's word. Maybe something you see on the internet. Maybe something on a satellite channel. Maybe some kindness shown to you by a Christian who you work with. They're all sugar cubes. And when the box is full, then they're ready to begin to think about whether they might actually follow the Jesus who's behind all this. You see what a long process it is? And you see how that helped our friend? You'll be one of the sugar cube putter-inners. But you may never see the box full. And even if you do see the box full, you'll be relying on all those who put sugar cubes in along the way. It won't be down to you alone. What a powerful picture to give him. And that's what kept him going the last 26 years, which gets him up to nearly 30 Here we have this marvelous moment where Jesus opens their minds. What a lovely tapestry that is. Opening their minds to understand the Scriptures. It's one of the many gospel moments where we would do anything to have been there. How did it feel to have your head opened up like this? How did it feel for the Emmaus Road folks? How did it feel to hear Jesus himself make all those connections in the Old Testament and get to where we are now with him who died and now is risen? How did it feel to get all this? He wants them to be clear. The Messiah came to suffer and then to rise. That's really difficult for people in Muslim worlds and for our Jewish friends too. Their Messiah should be glorious, victorious, not to suffer and apparently be left alone by the God in whom he trusts. But it's suffering first, then glory. That's the pattern for Jesus. Suffering equals glory indeed. And it's our pattern and our experience as we follow him. It's tough. But there are moments of glory, glimpses of glory, and one day we are assured of glory in his presence with him. And we are to show how this works. To turn away from selfish living, repentance, Jesus calls it, for forgiveness of sin. Again, the thing that our fasting friends so long for. And their system says... You can't have it. You can't know it. You can't be sure of it. Only God is sure, and you'll only know when you stand before God, and then it's too late. Jesus' good news says something different. This is what he wants us to display, to model, to communicate. Some get to preach, yes, but all of us are witnesses. His vision that all nations get to hear this, have chance to understand it, and someone to help them respond. That's our purpose. That's a scary big job, isn't it? Jesus has a final word. In verse 49, he simply says, Be certain, as you embrace this, that God equips us by his Spirit. All saints, in all places, amongst all the people. That's the image I found for this. Moving out of our comfortable circles and settings to live and work cross-culturally stretches us. 
Witness is a demanding concept. The word we get martyr from. And for some of our friends, there's a very fine line between declaring that you follow Jesus and losing your life or your family or your work or your community or your friends. Our cultures are changing fast, but they're still somehow deep-seated. We need insight. We need wisdom. We need courage to steer through them. And Jesus says, of this you can be certain. I'm sending you the Father's promise. Don't be afraid. You're not alone. The you is us together. The Spirit is here now. They had to wait. He's amongst us now. We keep asking for him to fill us and equip us and strengthen us. And he is delighted to respond. As we have experienced some of this with Middle East Christians, we thank God and we look forward to continuing on your behalf to do that. As this evening, there will be a celebration of baptism and affirmation. We give thanks for that testimony, for the chance eagerly to share in other people's experience of this journey at this point, to welcome them into our family and be encouraged and spurred on in our own witness together. We're witnesses. Sure what's happened, clear in our purpose, and certain of God's equipping. Hope is restored for us. And amazingly, through us, by His Spirit, it's restored for our world. Amen. May God bless and strengthen each and all of us as we witness together.